The purpose of this activity is to expand the reach of chest content through awareness, critique, and discussion. All articles have undergone peer review for methodological rigor and audience relevance. Any views asserted are those of the speakers and are not endorsed by chest. Listeners should be aware that speakers' opinions may vary and are advised to read the full corresponding journal articles for complete context. This content should not be used as a basis for medical advice or treatment, nor should it substitute the judgment used by clinicians in the practice of evidence-based medicine. Hello and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Dominique Pepper. On behalf of CHEST, I'd like to welcome you to this month's CHEST podcast. My name is Dominic Pepper, and I'm the host of the CHEST podcast section. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a great conversation on the impact of COVID-19 on lung cancer incidents in England. Today as our guest, we are fortunate to have Dr. Savannah Geisling, um, the first author of this CHEST publication. Uh, Savannah, could you please introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. I'm Savannah Geisling. I'm a Surgical Research Fellow at Nottingham University Hospitals. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast with us. Uh, we will be discussing your article published in CHEST. So I guess the first question is, uh, why did you perform the study? So a lot of the authors on this study are involved with lung cancer, whether that's respiratory physicians, oncologists or surgeons. And we'd observed a change in our practice that we hadn't seen reflected in the literature and didn't seem to be reported on. We'd seen some papers looking at increased mortality predictions for lung cancer, but nothing really looking at what the incidence of lung cancer was doing in the wake of the pandemic and looking back at the first year of the pandemic. So that's really what we wanted to analyse in this study to inform both our practice and ongoing practice as well. Yeah, COVID um, was a pandemic that uh, basically ground everything to a halt. And as we know, uh, lung cancer diagnosis uh, is really important and early diagnosis is important for early staging and the treatment. Uh, maybe you could comment on um, what you thought would happen um, during COVID uh, before you performed your study. Uh, what did you think would be the effect on lung cancer diagnosis and treatment to, based on the fact that the entire, the entire world ground to a halt at the initial, the initial few months? So initial hypothesis was that the incidence would have dropped. We weren't quite sure what the recovery was going to look like after the first national lockdown. So that was part of what we wanted to investigate. And our suspicion was also that patients coming in after these lockdowns would have a stage shift in their lung cancer and perhaps worse performance status as well, which is something that we saw in the study in the end. So let's uh, dive into your study. Uh, what were your study aims and what were your methods? So in terms of the study aims, we really wanted to see what the impact was of the pandemic, looking at patients coming with lung cancer. Who were these patients? How did they present in terms of their comorbidity, their performance status, their age, sex, all that sort of thing? And also what the actual incidence rates did in terms of the national lockdown. So we divided our paper into three different time periods, looking at 2020 as the outcome, with a pre-lockdown pre period, a first national lockdown period, and a post-lockdown period. And we really wanted to investigate how these governmental actions had impacted lung cancer incidents. And then you all used a retrospective um, observational study design um, looking at the national 
at your National Lung Cancer Audit. Maybe a comment on uh, that database um, and how uh, you went about collecting these cases. Yeah, so the National Lung Cancer Audit is a fantastic audit that runs across, has been running across many years now in the UK and captures all lung cancer patients in the UK, their whole pathway, including their treatment and their outcomes. In terms of this particular study, this was the first time that we'd used what are called the rapid cancer registration data sets, which were data sets produced from the National Lung Cancer Audit that were released a lot sooner than they normally would be. So normally these data sets and their analysis take about two to three years to be analysed and fulfilled and the outcomes to come out in the the official national reports. However, we were able to gain access to these rapid registration data sets, which allowed us to do a much sooner analysis and much quicker analysis and actually present some of our findings as early as 2021. So that was a newer aspect of this particular data set, but hopefully we've still managed to capture quite a broad view of all lung lung cancer patients in England. And then maybe you could comment on uh, the importance of uh, early lung cancer diagnosis. I mean, we do know that lung cancer is the uh, is the most common cause of death in patients with cancer. Um, what, what impact would a delay in cancer diagnosis make? So unfortunately, a delayed lung cancer diagnosis has a huge impact on patients, not only because it has a large impact on what their treatment options are in terms of curative attempts such as surgery, is only really offered for patients with stage one, stage two, and not really above that at this point, because the outcomes aren't sufficient enough. So after stage two, you'd be really referred for chemotherapy, radiotherapy, not necessarily with a curative intent. So actually picking these patients up as early as possible is really, really important to produce better outcomes for these patients and ensure better long-term survival for them as well. Great. So let's uh, look at your key findings. What were your key findings and how did the COVID pandemic um, affect lung cancer incidents? So our key finding was really that in the first national lockdown period, the incidence of lung cancer dropped by about 26%. That reflects about a 23% drop in non-small cell lung cancer and about a 45% drop in small cell lung cancer across that time period. And the worst month that was reflected was actually May 2020, when we looked at that, which showed a 32% drop in lung cancer incidence. And then after that first national lockdown, which is the most stringent lockdown and one of the longest lockdowns we had here in England, after that, the incident rates did seem to recover to baseline, but we didn't see that overshoot that would have represented patients who were missed coming back in and still getting diagnosed. So there is a suspicion of there being an element of misdiagnosis after that first national lockdown of patients who were missed and never came back into the lung cancer pathway, unfortunately. And then maybe you could comment on the stage shift. Uh, did you see a stage shift uh, in lung cancer incidents? Yeah, we did see both a performance um, shift and a stage shift in these patients. So patients who were coming in did have a higher stage of lung cancer. So again, less treatment options for these patients and their performance status had worsened, which may be in part due to the fact that patients were at home and weren't mobilising as much, weren't as fit and active as they normally would be. And again, this has an impact on what treatment options are available to patients with both of these elements shifting. A lot of these patients presumably had um, fewer options in terms of what their treatment and management looked like. So how did you and your team interpret these findings? Um, the 
almost the whole world went into lockdown for concern that uh, the COVID uh, would be deadly and kill them. But it seems as though there were other illnesses out there um, that were, uh, such as lung cancer and acute coronary syndrome, that uh, got missed or delayed. Exactly, which is quite um, quite sad to see, really, because we can also see that there was a drop in GP referrals and two-week wait referrals. So those are pathways that normally would be used quite a lot in the community to refer patients into secondary care for treatment and diagnosis of lung cancer. And instead, we saw a lot more emergency presentations. So the normal pathways to being diagnosed and treated were in and of itself disrupted. And with that drop in lung cancer incidents that did not then recover afterwards, we have to except the fact that there probably would have been quite a few misdiagnoses and that the patients who did come in would have had lesser treatment options and that that will have reflected on outcome and mortality as well, which is probably what some of the mortality prediction studies are reflecting is where does that actual increase in mortality come from? And based on some of our findings, we do believe that that would have come from both the stage shift, the performance um, shift as well, and the fact that some patients might have been missed entirely and not diagnosed and may have even passed away before coming into a pathway to be diagnosed with lung cancer. So based on your findings, uh, what do you think we should do if we have another pandemic uh, similar to uh, COVID? Um, is it possible for you, you and your team to comment on whether these lockdowns worked in, in preventing uh, unnecessary deaths from COVID? Or should we um, make uh, different arrangements for those patients uh, with this high concern for mortality due to other illnesses such as lung cancer or um, heart attacks? So I think in the wake of a new challenge that comes into healthcare, such as the COVID-19 pandemic, where there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, a lot of novelty, and we're not sure how to handle these situations, it's important for us not to forget that other conditions and other diseases still continue to exist and develop in patients that remain a high prevalence and a high mortality to these patients, that these conditions still need to be addressed and treated despite new challenges that might, might arise. And also that we need to be aware that the public health messaging that we deliver or the government delivers as well has a huge impact on patients, which is what we saw is that patients would have been staying at home. And if they did have respiratory symptoms, they might not have come in. They not, might not have seek any advice or diagnosis for these because of the public health messaging that went out and that we need to be a bit careful maybe in future situations where we have conditions that do have respiratory symptoms, not to neglect the fact that these can sometimes be a sign of something else and that these patients still need advice and healthcare access when they do come with these symptoms. So how would you down to doing that. Um, uh, in, in those first few months uh, when everything went into lockdown, um, essentially all OR procedures except emergent ones uh, were postponed. Um, it took maybe a month or so before uh, we were able to even start doing bronchoscopies. Um, and even then they had to be done with PAPRs. Um, we didn't have a good diagnostic test. We obviously didn't have a vaccine at that time because the vaccine came at the end of the year. Um, and there was a lot of fear and uncertainty as to how about uh, diagnosing these patients, um, given that bronchoscopy and staging with EBUS is necessary for lung cancer. How would you have done it differently or what suggestions do you have um, to go about doing that? 
Well, interestingly, in the last couple of months of 2020, we saw quite a few national campaigns being rolled out to encourage patients with, let's say, a four-week history of a cough to come see their GP, come see the hospital, go to A&E. And these are messages that had been sort of neglected during the first period of COVID where we were telling people to stay at home, even if they did have respiratory symptoms. So I think that probably would have had a shift in people's mindsets that if they do have respiratory symptoms, they do need to be seen and they do need a diagnosis. So that would have been the initial first part is getting patients onto the pathway. And that was the element that we're really investigating. The difficulty was, of course, like you said, the impact on services and treatment delivery that were impacted by the pandemic. But the first important step is just even identifying these patients and making sure that they do have a diagnosis so that they're on this pathway and whether or not they then kind of access the next further treatment options is something that in the the pandemic we still need to be aware of. And again, in the UK, there's things like the National Screening Programme that is due to be rolled out in England, hopefully. And these sort of measures that are on a large scale, on a national scale, can hopefully address some of these missed patients that we had during the pandemic and prevent that from happening in future situations. Can maybe you could comment on um, staff utilization um, here in America, um, the pulmonology and critical care is a specialty, and a lot of the uh, pulmonologists who would have done the bronchoscopies were pulled to the critical care units where they were taking care of uh, these really sick patients. There was also the issue of um, uh, staff uh, uh, being susceptible to COVID and actually getting uh, COVID, and that obviously decreased the number of available staff uh, to care for patients and to manage these patients. Um, How would you address that, or how do you seek to uh, ensure that there are enough staff to do the procedure and enough uh, equipment and resources to perform them? So I think there's a couple of aspects there, one being patients being diagnosed initially. So that would have been for us mostly through GP services or emergency department services, patients being picked up with these symptoms. And those services remain relatively stable during the pandemic. There were a lot fewer GP appointments being made looking at that national statistic. However, our suspicion is that that was more that patients weren't making these appointments because they were encouraged to stay at home and not come in with respiratory symptoms rather than the availability of GP services and the A&E department didn't really have as much of an impact as secondary care services. So the secondary care services you are referring to, the respiratory physicians and the surgeons, they would have been impacted and redistributed during the pandemic. Unfortunately, that did happen in a lot of locations. However, here it's quite trust-based. So in trusts where there was a strong move and a strong push to keep and preserve these services, such as the respiratory physicians and their diagnostic services and the surgeons and their diagnostic services, in certain hospitals, that was very much made an important and a critical element. And therefore, those services were preserved. So I think this is based mostly on looking at future pandemics is how we would ensure that those services keep running and that will be more of a a long-term health cost service provision element because obviously the pandemic is still ongoing and we do still need these physicians and these specialists who can look after both COVID patients and patients with lung cancer. And uh, Dr. Geising, you also have a retrospective observational study. Um, There are no perfect studies. What would you want uh, the audience to be aware of in terms of key limitations of your study? And if you're able to get more data, um, what specific variables would you have wanted uh, to better understand the impact of COVID um, on lung cancer incidents? 
So one of the variables that wasn't quite as sturdy as we would have liked to have been, and therefore we didn't use it much in our analysis, was smoking. That was a factor that we had a lot of missing data for, and therefore we couldn't really use that in our analysis. So that in future studies or ongoing studies on this topic is something we would have liked to take more into consideration, especially with the interplay between COVID and lung cancer and smoking. I think that would have been an important element to maybe further investigate. In terms of the limitations of the study, the main limitation would have been because we accessed this data in the form of a rapid cancer registration data set, the validation of the study is probably not quite as robust as the normal yearly national lung cancer audit reports that come out, and therefore the data might be slightly divergent from those. So the validation is probably not as stringent as they are in normal years, and that would be one of the key limitations. The other was that the registration data sets we received went up until the end of 2020 and therefore the follow-up on on the next year would also be quite interesting to look at in future studies as to what was the the follow-on effect of the pandemic in 2021 in 2022. And then do you have any future studies planned uh, researching this topic? So there's a couple more studies that will hopefully be coming out on this, some looking more at the treatment. So this paper really focused looking on the incidence and what happened with diagnosis of lung cancer. There are some papers and some other projects going on looking at what happened with the treatment options, what happened with chemotherapy, which sort of chemotherapy was or wasn't used, similar with radiotherapy and looking at survival as well. So looking at different aspects of the whole lung cancer pathway, whereas this one was focused more on the incidence and diagnosis. Yeah, looking forward to that work. So Savannah, how does this study ultimately advance our understanding um, of how pandemics um, impact lung cancer incidence and diagnosis? I think it really brings home the message that these, you know, governmental messages and large-scale public health messages really, really affect people and really affect how they do it present with lung cancer or in this aspect, how they may not present with lung cancer. And it really focuses our attention on the fact that in in the ongoing pandemic and possibly in future pandemics, we cannot forget these diseases such as lung cancer, which are common and have really high mortality rates. We can't just simply neglect these and leave these on the wayside when there are new healthcare challenges and that we really need to focus our attention both on new challenges and finding solutions for these, but also delivering ongoing high quality care for patients with lung cancer. Definitely agree. Um, Savannah, you've been very gracious with your time, and thank you for uh, speaking to our chest audience. Um, I do want to give you the opportunity to leave us with any concluding remarks. Yeah, so again, I would reiterate the fact that patients with lung cancer need to be coming forward if they do have respiratory symptoms, and that is very important that we pick up on these patients so that we can deliver the highest quality of care for them. Again, I'd reiterate the fact also that we're looking further into things like the treatment pathways and survive of these patients and maybe keep an eye out for those papers coming out as well. And thank you very much for the invitation to speak on the podcast. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you and we're looking forward to your work and the work of others um, to uh, better define this problem. A very big thank you uh, to Dr. Geisling uh, for an interesting conversation and a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Dominic Pepper. And this is a chess podcast.